1: young man speaking out just the other day so I stopped to take a listen to what he had to say he spoke straight and simple by that I was impressed he said once and for all why not the best he said his name was Jimmy Carter and he was running for president He laid out a plan of action That made a lot of sense He talked about the government
2: And how good it could be For you and me That's the way it ought to be this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, over the course of the last few months, the world has sort of been looking anew at the life and times of the presidency of Jimmy Carter. Well, the life of Jimmy Carter and the presidency of Jimmy Carter. And a lot of folks, especially folks that are a little bit younger, have tended to view Jimmy Carter through that old cliche of mediocre or poor president, but great. Ex president. But the funny thing about Jimmy Carter is that if you listen to his political adversaries, people that can't stand his politics, people that didn't vote for him, people that worked tirelessly to make sure that he never got elected to anything, they all begin a discussion of Jimmy Carter by talking about what a great guy he was. With the news that uh, the former First Lady Rosalind Carter has passed away and their incredible marriage, at least on this earth, has come to an end, a lot of people have been looking at what a transformative First Lady she was. A lot of people have been comparing her to folks like Eleanor Roosevelt and Hillary Clinton, which is not necessarily something that, uh, before her obituary was written, I think would have sprung to a lot of people's minds. Someone who has studied the life and times of Jimmy Carter more closely than anyone, is Jonathan Alter. He's a columnist, a documentary filmmaker, a lecturer, and a best-selling author whose books include his very best, Jimmy Carter, A Life. Mr. Alter, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you.
1: Great to be here.
2: Uh, Let me begin by asking you a little bit about the relationship that the Carters had with one another, Jimmy and Rosalyn. Their time together as a married couple is literally longer than most people that get sentenced to life in prison end up serving in prison. What was their relationship like? Uh, What can you uh, fill us in about the depth of their relationship?
1: Well, first, just in terms of its length, they were married for 77 years, and there are only 1,000 couples in the entire United States who have been married for more than 75 years. Wow. So just you know, statistically, uh, the fact that their marriage you know, lasted that long and he was a president of the United States is, is extraordinary. But in truth they actually knew each other for 96 years because uh smith in the tiny town of plains georgia where jimmy carter also lived she was delivered by lillian carter jimmy's mother who was a nurse and delivered a lot of the babies in that town and a couple of days uh, after she was born in 1927. Uh, Lillian Carter brought her her two and a half year old toddler around to see the new baby. Now they didn't start going out, you know, till uh, 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 you know, seventeen years later when uh, when Jimmy was at the Naval Academy and Rosalind was a freshman in in college at a local college. But uh, they they developed an extraordinary partnership, and she became one of the most influential uh, first ladies in american history because pretty much everything that he did he did with her and she was one of his top advisors now often in white house uh, you know the president's staff gets upset the first lady having too much power like what does she know why is she in these meetings but rosalind carter was so formidable and smart, and she had such a, a good political sense, much better than her husband's. Uh, if he if had listened to her more, he might have been better off politically, hmm. that even um, the president's aides were you know often eager to have her in um, in those meetings and we can talk if you want about some of her very substantive contributions that changed the country in significant ways. But um, much of that happened uh, during his presidency, not not after his presidency. The assumption that, you know, these achievements were all after he left office is just erroneous.
2: So let's talk about uh, Rosalind Carter as First Lady. What did she do differently than First Ladies before her? And how did she sort of remake the role of First Lady if she did?
1: Well, first, um, she was the first uh, first lady who actually had a professional policy staff in the East uh, wing of the White House um, and and you know hired issue experts to work on real issues like mental health uh, and uh, age discrimination. a series of other issues that she was interested in that that resulted in specific, Uh, policies. I mean, uh, Carter signed the first major mental health legislation in American history, and mental illness had been stigmatized really until Rosalind Carter. And then she and the wife of Senator Dale Bumpers of uh, Arkansas, they went around the country and they convinced 33 states to require proof of vaccination before children could enter school, which did a tremendous amount for public health uh, in this country. And then in, in other cases, she was just kind of advising her, her husband. Um, um, and uh, she, you know, pushed him hard on um, naming more women uh, to senior positions. Uh, Jimmy Carter ended up appointing five times as many women to the federal bench as all of his predecessors combined. And he He kind of moved the government from tokenism to genuine diversity, which is a pretty big accomplishment and one that she had a lot to do with. And that just kind of scratches the surface of her involvement in in major issues. She was a diplomat for him and very important on human rights, uh, which was a Carter initiative that was later embraced by Republican presidents as being very helpful in uh, moving – nations including communist countries uh, toward toward democracy and um she um you know she was there for his failures as well um and you know, tried to advise him to be tougher on Iran for instance but he didn't want to risk losing the hostages it's a little um familiar Mm -hmm. for for all of us today. Um, So he didn't want to take a a harder line, although he did end up trying to stage a rescue rescue mission. Um, But he, um, you know, didn't want to take military action, even though his wife and his mother were, along with some other people, were advising him to do so.
0: Whenever
2: you have a a powerful first lady or even the wife of a politician that's not the president, whether it's uh, someone like Hillary Clinton, whether it's someone like Nancy Reagan or uh, on a local level, someone like uh, Bill de Blasio's ex-wife, Shirlane McRae, there seems to be a little bit of resentment, not just from the staffers working for that politician, but maybe even from the public. Oh, we didn't elect that person. Why should that person be tasked? with being in charge of of anything. Did Rosalind Carter face that kind of criticism when she was in office or when she was the first lady?
1: She did a little bit. So at one point um, she began sitting in on cabinet meetings and she didn't um, say anything, but there was some public controversy surrounding that. However, her popularity was always uh, much uh, greater than her husband's. And because she was such a gracious uh, woman, and um, she she didn't rub people the wrong way, and so most people who dealt with her uh, liked her in both parties, and and uh, you know she ended up being uh, quite um, popular, but but often overlooked because she didn't have that. Um, uh, You know, she didn't um, become a lightning rod the way both Nancy Reagan and Hillary Clinton and Eleanor Roosevelt as well did in their day. And so mostly she was kind of, um, especially, you know, in in recent decades, she was overlooked when people were assessing first ladies. And, And I think that was a mistake if you actually look at the scoreboard in terms of what you know what she accomplished. At one point, she went on a diplomatic mission for her husband. And she went around uh, and you know faced down dictators um, in Latin America, and um, got a lot accomplished on that mission. And the press coverage of that was glowing because I think there was an expectation that she wouldn't, you know, um, be up to snuff, um, and she was. She just was a very. Uh, impressive um, person and came an enormous distance from this tiny town in Georgia where where they both were born.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Whenever Jimmy Carter's name uh, comes up on this program in any context... There are folks that will repeat the cliché that I mentioned when I was introducing you. Great ex-president, very poor president. And they'll point to not just the Iranian hostage situation, but the situation economically in uh, in the country at the time. The sky-high interest rates, the general feeling of malaise. Is part of the reason why you chose to write your book, and I'm sure spend a lot of time on it, because you were hoping to kind of disprove that cliche, very poor president, great ex president. Uh, yeah, that was a
1: partial motivation. I mean, I think we have to be you know honest about this. He he doesn't belong on Mount Rushmore. You know, he he will never be in the first rank of American presidents. And my book has an awful lot of criticism of him in it, but. Um, But essentially what Jimmy Carter was was a a political failure. I mean, he was thrashed by Ronald Reagan, but a substantive success, a visionary success in terms of the environment, human rights, uh, the Camp David Accords, the most durable peace treaty uh, since World War II, um, peace between Israel and Egypt. Imagine if we didn't have that um, treaty in effect now, mm. uh, and this—you know—this provided uh, Carter was criticized in some cases for good reason um, by uh, American Jews uh, uh, on occasion, but he did more for the security of the state of Israel uh, by taking uh, the Egyptian army off the table um, than any president since Harry Truman and, and the founding of the state of Israel. And then, um, you know, normalization of relations with China, uh, the Panama Canal treaties, which um, got a lot of Republican votes and and arguably prevented a major war in Central America, which the Joint Chiefs said would have happened if not for, uh, um, for ratification uh, and uh, a, a bunch of other things that we could talk about now. How much should he be blamed for the hostages being seized in, in Iran? Um, I think the answer to that is not at all. It wasn't his fault that they were, they were seized. Now you could say embassy security was not what it could have been, and I guess you could lay that on him if you wanted to you know, look at it that way. Um, he, but clearly that hurt him a lot. And as you indicated, the bad economic conditions Hurt him a lot. You had double-digit inflation and interest rates, and high unemployment at a certain point. Also, St- ruinous stagflation. Um, that malaise, and he he never used the word malaise in that that famous speech that was called the malaise speech. But you know that characterized the 1970s. And um, people say, well, you know, Ronald Reagan. Brought us out of this and brought the economy back, um, but you know I wanted to look a little bit more closely at that. And when you do, you you come up with an interesting explanation for how it happened. Now, I think as most of your listeners know, the Federal Reserve has more to do with what happens in the economy than the president does, right? So the reason that interest rates went so high in the in 1979 and 1980, exactly at the moment Carter is running for re-election, is that Carter appointed Paul Volcker mm-hmm. to be chair of the Federal Reserve. And Volcker decided that the only way to end inflation was very harsh medicine. So it's like what Chairman Jerome Powell is doing on steroids, right? Much, much greater increases in in interest rates because inflation was much much higher in the 70s than it is now for reasons that again had were not jimmy carter's fault they had to do with opec you know arab oil embargo the iranian revolution a series of things that were happening internationally that no president of the united states was able to control um, certainly nixon couldn't control it when it started when these when inflation started under Nixon. So what Carter did to address it was to appoint Volcker. Volcker jacked up interest rates and Carter lost. You know, really hard to run when you have sure interest rates as high as nineteen percent. So then Reagan comes in. Reagan initially is really upset with Volcker, almost doesn't reappoint him uh, because there's a terrible recession in 1982, which Volcker's high interest rates precipitated. That was what Volcker was trying to do. Super harsh medicine. Then what happens? The Volcker policy ends inflation, and Reagan is easily reelected in 1984. Now, does that go on Reagan's account or on <laughs> Paul Volcker's account? I think it goes on Paul Volcker's account. Well, I get-
2: appointed Paul Volcker? Jimmy Carter, right? Well, kind and then and then obviously reappointed by <laughs> President Reagan. Uh, talking with uh, Jonathan Alter, yeah, yeah reappointed. Um, uh, he, he author of the book, his very best, Jimmy Carter: A Life. Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit about Jimmy Carter as a personality and a person. One of the things that almost every president in the last 70 or 80 years seems to have in common is an enormous amount of personal ambition. People of different ages, different uh, mm-hmm. ethnic backgrounds, different parts of the country, they all seem to share uh, from the time they were incredibly young, this overarching sense of ambition. When people think of Jimmy Carter, my sense is they don't immediately think of the word ambition. Look, Looking at Jimmy Carter's early life, did he display the kind of ambition that most future presidents display?
1: Um, It was a little bit different. Um, First of all, a lot of people say, oh, Jimmy Carter, humble man. Um, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think any politician is humble. And Jimmy Carter is, is not humble. He is modest and he's decent and he's honest. And he doesn't lie. And those things are, you know, I think pretty relevant uh, when we're looking at these politicians. When he was a boy, his ambition was to be a naval officer, to go to the Naval Academy, which he did. And as a young man uh, working for Admiral Rickover on the most exciting technology project of the middle part of the 20th century, which was nuclear-powered submarines, Uh, They put a nuclear power plant on the back of a submarine before they had one on land. That was how cutting edge it was. So at that point, his ambition was to be chief of naval operations. And it was a burning ambition. Um, But when his father died in 1953, he went back to Georgia to assume his father's responsibilities in business and and, uh, civically, and um first he was ambitious and quite successful in business and then he caught the political bug and was very ambitious politically to the point where he ducked the civil rights movement and you know i was pressing him i interviewed him a number of times as well as more than 250 other people for for his very best and and um you know he said to me look i could have either been in the civil rights movement or been in politics and I chose to be in politics. So he, he, um, he ducked the movement and, you know, was a centrist, uh, never a racist, but, um, um, very much a moderate, which I think is a surprise to people now because they, they think of him as a flaming liberal, right, but, sure. um, you know, he was not. And in fact, Ted Kennedy challenged him from the left for the nineteen eighty Democratic nomination, uh, and Carter was quite conservative on on certain issues, particularly fiscal issues, uh, and a, and an unpredictable mix of liberal and conservative. But his positions hold up really well over time. That, that's one of the things that you know that I found. Whether you look at um, the uh, Things like you know airline and trucking deregulation, trucking deregulation you know gave us uh, UPS. You know, uh, airline deregulation gave us FedEx. You know, I mean, just and plus being able to go out and visit your your grandmother for you know less than an arm and a leg in in the seventies. It cost you know it was. The average cost in in today's dollars of flying from New York to California was about $1,300. Like, you can get a much better fare than that nowadays, right? And that's because of airline deregulation. There were literally dozens of bills like that that, you know, liberals didn't necessarily like because they, they were looking for an ambitious kind of great society continuation, and Carter wasn't into that mm. he he was um building bipartisan coalitions on a lot of different uh, issues. He sometimes got along better with Republicans like Howard Baker than he did with Democrats. He could be prickly and and sometimes difficult in 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 person, which um you know didn't always help his congressional Relations, Um, but when you look at the scoreboard at the end of the game, which is what a historian needs to do, you you just saw a lot of points on the board. You know, as a journalist, um, I look at presidents in large part by how popular they are. How are they doing? Do the voters like them? But historians, and on that score, Carter didn't measure up very well. Mm. Historians look at look at it differently. They, They look at how did this president changed the country long term. And what was really interesting is, you know, there were a number of Republicans I, I interviewed who said, you know, I, you know, I was one of those people always dumping on Jimmy Carter, but, you know, it, it turns out there were, there were things he got done that were really pretty good. Even if you're looking at it from a conservative Perspective. Um, so, you know, for instance, human rights. Um, it, it, it turned out that um, Václav Havel in, in Czechoslovakia and, and a lot of dissidents in the Soviet Union—they they said Carter's human rights policy helped hollow out the Soviet Union and and was you know extremely important in in ending communism. He didn't do it in. You know, Reagan obviously made a contribution, but Reagan didn't do it himself either, you know, and these, these, the the end of communism was the product of several post-war American presidents, each making a, a different contribution. So I think the important thing in assessing him and and his, you know, his life partner, Rosalind, is to kind of strip off the, the blinders that I think people on the left and the right have and just try to look anew at, at some of these issues in, in, the, in the long view of, of history. And, um, you know, so uh, something like, I, I often come back to, um, to China um, and, you know, whatever our problems are now with China, and they're significant um normalization of relations became the foundation of the global economy.
2: Mm.
1: And mm. and um you know this bilateral relationship. So Deng Xiaoping comes and to Washington and he does this deal with Carter. You know, Nixon opened the door, Carter walked through. And and Republicans, because they were concerned about the right wing, would never have normalized. So he does this and Nixon and Kissinger are strongly backing him, but a lot of other more conservative Republicans are opposed. And Deng Xiaoping returns to China, and first thing he does is he legalizes private property. This is a country that was like <laughs> a sub-Saharan African country in terms of its GDP. And then it goes on, you know, the greatest growth in, in human history of an economy. And, and it not only pulled hundreds of millions of Chinese out of poverty and gave them a better life. But it did a lot for Americans who could do, you know, sell into the Chinese market or buy from the Chinese and then finish the products, you know, all kinds of relationships that we still had. Why did Biden just meet with Xi Jinping? You know, why did um Trump even as he had you know his issues with China why did he talk um so much about the relationship because our economy does depend on on there being that strong relationship and all of that economic relationship and all of that started under Jimmy Carter
2: you know, uh, I'd love to have you back for a full hour, um, almost out of time, though. But I have to ask you about this. I don't want the uh, our discussion to end without me asking you about his relationship with uh, President Ford. Uh, that 1976 campaign was uh, pretty bitter, very heavily yeah. contested. It was ended up being one of the closest presidential campaigns in history up until that time, uh, actually still to this day. And yet the two of them as ex-presidents not only seemed to work together, but it seemed they developed a genuine fondness for one another. Is that true? Did they actually become friends or was this a friendship for the cameras? And if it was genuine, how did these two bitter rivals become friends?
1: Well, it's, it's a great question. Um, so what happened is, uh, when he was sworn in on January 20th, 1977, Carter said, I want to thank Gerald Ford for all he did to heal our land, um, and, you know, and it, he supported the pardon, and he was grateful to Ford for his contributions. And Ford was touched by that, and that began what was a genuine friendship. I mean, they weren't, you know, BFF. But they they had a really good relationship, and they much better than Carter's relationship with Clinton, which mm. was really fraught. And they, Carter and Clinton, had a lot of uh, bad feeling, bad blood between them, which I, I chronicle in my book. Um, and finally, the the Clintons went to their seventy fifth wedding anniversary a couple of summers ago, and sort of buried the hatchet. But it was a it was a very difficult relationship. He had a little bit of a difficult relationship with Obama. Uh, he had first a very good relationship and then a, uh, a problematic one with George H.W. Bush, which I interviewed former President Bush about not long before he died. Um, but the one with Ford was the, the, the best one that he had. And they each promised one another that uh, whichever one didn't die first would deliver the eulogy at, uh, the other's funeral. And indeed when president Ford died, uh, Jimmy Carter delivered the eulogy, um, and, um, you know, fulfilling that promise they had, had made to each other. And it's a reminder that there was a time when we didn't have this insult culture in our politics. Yeah. And there was some basic, Respect, and that yes, you, you you took shots during campaigns, but there were boundaries that you respected, and 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 you you understood the contributions of uh, people, even if they were from a different party, and you you tried to look in a more sophisticated way um, at at uh, various contributions. So, like. Um, in the case of George H. W. Bush, Carter um, talked Daniel, when he was a former president talked Daniel Ortega out of into leaving uh, power after he lost an election, which no communist had ever done before, it's unprecedented. And and George H. W. Bush was tremendously grateful to Carter for this, but then later Carter acts like a freelance Secretary of State, and he's <laughs> he's lobbying other heads of state, you know, to um, in security council to be against Bush's Gulf War. Right. Which infuriated Bush and Bush admitted to me that he was really angry at Carter for this. But then when he took a step back, he said, you know, at the end of the day, he was a decent man and, and who did his best and sincerely wanted what was best for this this country and and you know so I I ended up I have to tell you you know I know that many of your your listeners uh, some of them anyway are, are are Donald Trump supporters so you know I say this with a that understanding but you know researching Jimmy Carter's life for all of his mistakes all the things he did wrong it was it was for me a a, a relief from the Trump presidency because of the, Carter was in so many ways the un-Trump. He's just a, a decent person who did not lie, you know? And when he said, I'm not gonna lie to you, he exaggerated, you know, he was a politician, but he just didn't tell these hundreds or thousands of of lies. He took it seriously that you, you don't do that when you're president. You don't take these shots at other people even though Carter could take some shots, but there was a there was a, a guardrail um, on what you did, and that he and Gerald Ford and George H W Bush, George W Bush, Clinton, Obama, all the rest of them respected uh, until until recently. Oh, uh,
2: we're going to have to end it there. I would love to have you back. Uh, there's uh, a, lot of other, a lot of other stuff I'd like to ask you about the Carter presidency and what's happening in the world uh, these days. One of the things that I've noticed, though, uh, is that while they may have different views and different styles, one similarity between Carter and Trump, if there is one, is that there's a feeling among working class voters who feel that Washington doesn't speak for them, uh, that uh, Jimmy Carter and Donald Trump, even though they have very different ways of uh, approaching uh, both politics and policy, that they do kind of stick up for the working class guy that's forgotten by Washington. Would you agree that that was a, a commonality in their appeal?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. They were both outsider candidates. And outsider candidates have a lot of appeal uh, to many American voters. And, and um, it both seemed like a breath of fresh air to their supporters. But I do think it's a a better uh, comparison between Carter and, and Biden in 2020. You know, Carter became president after Watergate, after there was this you know, this this feeling um, that the, uh, the White House had been sort of soiled, you know, and and Carter ran as a healer. And Joe Biden, who was the first uh, senator to endorse Jimmy Carter in 1976, um, he also ran as a healer in in 2020. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's just try to get a sense of decency back. And Carter ran as, you know, I want a government as good as its people, and and Biden was kind of saying the same thing, like, we can do better than this. Mr. Alter, we, we, we don't ha- have, I have to, to end it. each other this way. I
2: have to end it there. I hope we can continue this conversation again. I appreciate you being but, so generous with your time, especially this late at night. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. If you want to uh, check out uh, the book, it's called His Very Best, Jimmy Carter, A Life. There's also an interesting story about in the book about how that title came to be. Its author is Jonathan Alter. If you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with Jonathan Alter, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.